Welcome to the Max Bernier Show. Here's the leader of the People's Party of Canada, Maxime Bernier. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Max Bernier Show. Today, I want to come back to the interview that I did two weeks ago with uh, the economist Philip Cross. And I will give you my point of view and my perspective. So let's start to listen to Philip Cross. I've studied recessions all of my professional life. And one of the major conclusions that comes out of it is that when we're in the middle of a recession, we adopt policies that introduce distortions, especially into the financial and monetary system, that in the short term may actually alleviate the recession, but in the long term begin to create problems that eventually blow up into major problems. What are these uh, policies that uh, central banks and Western governments adopted? First, you know, artificially low interest rate. Every central bank adopted a policy like that to stimulate the economy. And also the Fed and the European Central Bank uh, adopted a policy of quantitative easing. What's that, quantitative easing? Quantitative easing, it's only printing money. It's a way to create money out of thin air. And the, these uh, governments, like in Canada, in US, in Europe, uh, they had uh, a budgetary uh, policy based on deficit. And they decided to do that, again, to stimulate the economy. These policies were supposed to be there for the short term, not for the long term. But we adopted these policies for the last 10 years and didn't work. It didn't work. Why they thought that it will work? It's because they were thinking that these kind of Keynesian policies with more spending, more deficit, uh, more subsidized, uh, more um, uh, quantitative easing, low interest rate. For them, it was supposed to stimulate the economy, but it didn't work. It didn't work, and I think it's time to have a, a, an excerpt from uh, Philip Cross, and he will tell us what happened here in Canada and in other Western countries. So just listen to him. Well, the, the negative impact is that we have tried to stimulate growth with these policies in the short term, but in fact, they didn't work. In fact, if you look at GDP growth per capita over the last 10 years, we've had the worst decade we've had since the 1930s. Uh, so in fact, we, we went into a debt, we brought forward a lot of spending through lower interest rates to create growth, and in fact, it didn't work. So what we ended up doing is we've taken on a great deal of debt. We've created very little income. We don't have a lot to show for this debt. And so we were much more vulnerable going into the next downturn because we have this overhang of debt and very low growth coming out of the last downturn. We didn't use this money well to strengthen our economy, to boost fundamental factors that drive growth in the long term, such as productivity, such as innovation, uh, instead, we've created uh, a lot of bubbles in the housing market. We've created a lot of debt related to housing. We have uh, created a lot of government debt. 
And as I say, we don't have a lot to show for it. It's not like we invested this in oil and gas or we invested this in government infrastructure. Uh, we mostly use this debt to buy groceries. That's never a good recipe in economics. Philip is right. It didn't work. It has made our economy more vulnerable and not more stronger. It didn't work here in Canada, didn't work in Japan. Actually, they try it over there. Over 30 years, Japan has 15 stimulus packages. And what was the result? No growth, very anemic growth, less than 2% of the GDP. But at the end, Japan is the most endated country in the world. So we try that here in North America and in Europe, and it will be the same. You know, that ex experiment was not successful in Japan, and it, it is not successful here in Canada, like Philip said. So <clears throat> what is the result after 10 years in Canada? The result is that our national debt here in our country, when I'm speaking about our national debt, it's the uh, uh, household debts, uh, corporation debts, and also the government's debt. All together, our national debt, it's uh, over 300% of our uh, GDP. So that's the ratio debt to GDP ratio, more than 300%. And the country with the more indebted, it's Japan. And after that, you know, if you look at other countries, uh, the U.S. are at 275%, U.K. 250%, Germany 180%. So <clears throat> we are the second most indebted country in the world. And if we look at the household, the ratio of household debt to GDP uh, in Canada, we're the second uh, indebted country. Uh, country at the same time also, like just after Denmark at 100%, Denmark, they're at 115%, and the average for the G20 countries, it's 59%. So like uh, the experiment in uh, Japan didn't work here, didn't work in Japan, and our growth the last uh, 10 years, Philip said it, you know, it was the worst decade since the 1930s, with average annual growth in our country, less than 2%. So that is the result of these uh, nonsense economic policies. So <clears throat> we cannot, we cannot spend our way to prosperity on borrowed money. And all maybe the majority of the huge majority of uh, mainstream economies in our country believe that, believe that more spending, more deficit, uh, more subsidize uh, will bring prosperity. And that's not the case. That's not the case. And I'm, I'm, I believe the, the Austrian school of economists, like economists like Ayek, uh, Mises, and Wadbard, um, that's, they explain that. They explain that uh, you cannot artificially create growth with low artificially interest rate. And because that created a distortion in our economy, that's created malinvestment. 
uh, it makes uh, investment that are not profitable look like profitable because of these low interest rates. And also, it creates bubbles. We have actually a bubble in the stock market. We have a bubble in the bond market. We have also a bubble in the housing market. So it's, uh, it's not working. <clears throat> and at the end, these policies were supposed to stimulate the economy. But it is not a stimulus for the economy. It is a sedative for the economy. And what are the solutions? The solution, it's uh, what I said two years ago in a speech that I delivered uh, in Montreal. And I just want to read you what I said at that time. We cannot stimulate the economy by boosting consumption because consumption always follows from the production of wealth. Simply stated, they put the car before the horse. Consumption does not drive economic growth but rather it is a consequence of growth. Production precedes consumption. Consumers can only buy something if they have themselves produced something. We work, we produce, we get paid, and then we consume. The production of goods and services drive the economy, not consumption. So to stimulate the economy, we need to have public policies that would create the incentives for the producers, the entrepreneurs, to invest and create wealth. So we need sound free market policies like lower taxes for everybody, for entrepreneurs and for individual Canadians. Uh, we need to abolish uh, the capital gains tax in our country. We need to cut all subsidies to corporation. No more corporate welfare. We need to be able to balance the budget. We need to... Scrap useless regulation. And we must have a real free trade in our country. We must have a real economic union. So we need to abolish all trade barriers in between provinces. And these policies were part of our platform at the last election uh, campaign. Because we know, we know that prosperity does not come from government spending, but from entrepreneurs investing. And we know that if you have less government intervention in your day-to-day -day life, you'll have more freedom. And with more freedom, there's more opportunities and more prosperity. So we believe in people at the PPC. We don't believe in a big fat government in Ottawa. So more freedom for more prosperity for everybody. Stimulus, stimulus, always more stimulus. This week, central banks in the US and Canada cut interest rates by half a percentage point down to 1%. And governments are already planning stimulus spending worth billions of dollars. But easy money and government spending will not stop the coronavirus. It will only bring more distortions and prevent the economy from adjusting to a new situation. We've seen this movie before. 
after the dot-com and the real estate bubbles two decades ago, interest rates went down close to zero and governments spend a lot of money to boost the economy. Since then, we seem to be in a permanent state of stimulus. Justin Trudeau was elected on a promise to spend more and bring back deficit, even though the economy was growing. Central banks print money all the time to prevent the stock market from going down. They keep inflating the bubble. Politicians like this because it creates an illusion of prosperity in the short term. But they never talk about long-term negative effect of all this debt and easy money. The economy grows in a sustainable way when people save, invest, and innovate, not when governments spend money created by central banks, not when everyone is encouraged to go into debt and buy things they cannot afford. We cannot spend our way to prosperity with borrowed or printed money. It may not be popular now in the current political circus, but the only solution is to bring back sound fiscal and monetary policies. Will we ever be able to build major infrastructures or resource development projects in Canada again? The Trudeau government is doing everything it can to prevent it. Last week, ministers reached an agreement with Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs opposed to the natural gas pipeline. The agreement remains secret, but the hereditary chiefs seem to have gained everything they wanted. This means the federal government has recognized the authority of these non-elected oligarchs who speak only for a minority of their communities. Of course, if First Nations want to preserve a wall for hereditary chiefs based on their traditions, they are entirely free to do so. But that doesn't mean Ottawa has to recognize them as legitimate representatives. The vast majority of First Nations members want to work with other Canadians and benefit from economic development. The majority of Wet'suwet'en democratically supported the pipeline. So why don't we listen to them? We had revolutions in many Western countries to establish democratic institutions. And now the Liberals are about to officially recognize a reactionary and undemocratic system of governments here in Canada. They are telling potential despots in hundreds of First Nations communities that they will have a veto over major decisions that affect the whole country. Businesses already have to negotiate agreements with provinces and the elected authorities of affected First Nations communities? Imagine if they also need the consent of unelected chiefs from now on. Forget about major projects. Thanks to Justin Trudeau, these billions of dollars are gone in smoke. <laughs>